Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, we're going to finish the uh, last few verses of chapter 3 and then start in chapter 4. A wonderful passage of Scripture. Uh, it's one of my favorite books, Galatians. Of course, I've said that every time we get to a book, but this is a great book. Uh, reason I really like Galatians, we probably already talked about this, is the fact that Paul deals with legalism that tried to get back in the church. And it's still a problem today. Uh, and, uh, and we've talked about the fact that you can hear Paul's heart when he writes this book um, to the churches there in, in Galatia. Follow along with me as I read, starting with verse 26, Galatians chapter 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to enslave, be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. As I stated earlier, when we started this book, Paul was amazed, somewhat in disbelief, that these churches in the province of Galatia were so quickly leaving the gospel of grace and going back to where they came from. And now, again, he reminds us, and you can hear Paul's heart in these words very clearly in front of us. He shows great concern for their spiritual well-being. He's saying something like this to these churches. I'm afraid for you. I'm troubled about the situation where you are in at this moment. I'm very disturbed about the direction you are heading in your life. I'm concerned what's taking place. If you notice there, the last verse we read, Paul says, I'm so concerned that I think I've wasted my time and my energy on you. 
Martin Luther made the statement that these words breathe tears. Paul has a deep burden for these Christians, these believers, concern for their well-being and their spiritual health. Judaizers had come into the church and were trying to convince them. In fact, the word Paul used in verse 1 of chapter 3 is bewitched. But he is con concerned about that they are convincing them that they somehow need to go back to the law so they could be better Christians and be more spiritual. Now, I understand that. Because doesn't our human nature, isn't it attracted to rules and laws that allow us to, to gauge ourselves and to give an outward sign that we can measure our progress with? We do that in business, we do that in families, we do that uh, on a, any kind of a project we're in. And, and so spiritually speaking, it makes sense. And so they were buying into the fact that you needed to observe certain laws and functions and ceremonies to show how religious and how righteous you are. And Paul states to them, that's absolutely foolish for you to do that. Go back to verse 1. He uses that word very much there. It's foolish to go back to a system that's legalism, a system of rules and works and things you have to do so anything that takes away from the grace of God, the truth of the gospel message, and the freedom that a believer has in Christ is just absolutely foolish. And so Paul here is, is saying to these people, you know the wonderful things that you have when you were born again, when you were saved. You know what you have in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know the joy in your heart that you've experienced from this relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And, and you are now in the family of God. They understood that salvation was free. Based on grace through faith. And the freedom they have in Christ. But they were ready to give up that freedom. To go back into the bondage of religion. Of works. Ceremonies. And Paul here says you need to just step back and take a breath of fresh air. And understand the freedom you have in Christ. The focus of our text here is about the fact that these people are in God's family. The first few verses there out of chapter 3 talk about it's a family of faith. As a statement about the, the new birth or what it means to be a Christian or how one is saved. Or the term I love to use being born again. Now, now, you all have heard someone say to you, and, and maybe you've used this yourself, well, we are all children of God. We all have God as our Father. But we are not all children of God. Oh, I understand the fact that we were created, all people understand we're created by Him. And that there is a special relationship because He loves His creation. We are His handiwork. We were made in His image. But here, Paul is saying that a Christian has a very deep relationship, which is a son-daughter-father relationship with God. And it comes only by faith 
in Jesus Christ. It says it very clearly there in verse 26 when he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Only people who have been born again, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, have the right to call themselves a child of God. Notice here, here also, he, he talks about all sorts of, kind of, all sorts of people and backgrounds and, and places they've been. It doesn't matter what your background is. Anyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a child of God. And, and we just have to understand that before we become Christians, we are literally enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 tells us that very clearly, that we are enemies of God. John chapter 8 verse 44 says we are literally children of the devil. No one belongs in God's family no one is an heir of God until Jesus Christ has become their Lord and Savior. We have to be born again, have that spiritual birth. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So the moment you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior... You were brought into a union with God, which is a child of His. Notice there in verse 27, he uses the word baptism. He's not talking about water baptism here, by the way. He's talking about a spiritual baptism where we are one in unity and body with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. Again, it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter where we came from. The person who has received Christ as Savior has a union with Christ, union with the Heavenly Father because of their relationship with Christ. He talks about being clothed in Christ or with Christ in verse 27. King James Version uses the terms put on Christ. Again, another example of, of a relationship that is there, uh, that we experience a new birth we are saved, we become a Christian, and it's like changing clothes in a sense. We put off the old and put on the new. In fact, over in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, he says, But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have been taken off your old self and put it to practice and its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. There he, he talks about the fact that it, when we're in Christ it's like taking off a pair of dirty clothes and, and then putting on a new suit and being clean. You put away the old habits, the old sins, the old attitudes. Those things are gone and, and we receive Christ's righteousness into our lives and we become a new creation as the scriptures tell us. One of the, my favorite definitions of being a Christian is being a Christ follower. In fact, I know a lot of preachers because the word Christian is so um, misused nowadays, don't even like to use it. They talk about, I am a follower of Christ. People see Jesus in my life. My, I'm not just a Christian in name only. I'm not something I just do on Sunday morning in a religious sense, but it is who I am. It's who I identify with. It is the lifestyle of which I live. People are to see Jesus in me 
every day. People ought to see Jesus in me. He ought to see Jesus. People ought to see Jesus in you. There should be a Christ likeness about anyone who calls on his name. I want you to notice there also in verse 28, it talks about we are all one in Christ. And he talks about different types of people, if you notice there. He talks about differences. He talks about Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Uh, we could look, talk about the fact that uh, we, we notice people's differences, don't we? We notice that somebody's tall or short. I heard somebody say up there, they saw Chase. Don't, I'm not going to say anything bad about you, son. Uh, <laughs> but somebody up in the choir loft says, my goodness, has he's grown. You can tell he's his father's son. He's tall, thin. We, know, we can look around the room and see people who need glasses and who don't. We can look at the people's hair or lack of hair. We, 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 we notice things about people. We notice uh, skin color. We notice hair color. We notice if they're a man or a woman or male or female. Those things we know and we see, but it tells us here that in Christ we are all equal. There's no difference. God's love for each and every one of us, no matter who we are or place in life. And I want to tell you something. When Paul wrote these words, that was very shocking in that culture. Because men were superior, considered superior to women in that culture. He was going against the culture. In fact, if you grew up in, in a Jewish culture, uh, they would say, I'm so thankful I'm not a Gentile. They would say, I'm so thankful I'm not a slave. The men would say, I'm so thankful I'm not a woman. That's a culture that he wrote this in. And so he was going against the, the cultural norms of that day. What he is saying here and what it says to us is the gospel message and the cross destroys all the proud, uh, being proud of our heritage. It's not, nothing wrong with our heritage, but, but it gets rid of that. I'm superior. It gets rid of that bigoted, prejudiced thinking that somehow I'm better than someone else. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. There's no room for any kind of discrimination. Regardless of our position in life, we are all equally important to God. We all have value to Him. So much so, Jesus came and died on the cross for each and every one of us. That does all away with all of the garbage in our society and all the roles that we play in society. It gets rid of all the roles we play in the home and in the church. We are all equal. I, 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 get, I get tired, and excuse me for saying this, but I get tired of people telling me I, there's nothing I can do in the church. I'm sorry. God's gifted you. There's something that you do in the church, and you are just as valuable as any Sunday school teacher or any deacon or any trustee or even one of us who are on staff. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to uh, the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3, says, consider others better than yourself. He says, don't, don't ever put yourself on a pedestal to think you're better than somebody else. Look, look at everybody and put them above you. Put their welfare and what's important in their life above your own. He talks about then that we are a family and we are a family by adoption. We are adopted into the the family of God and, and all the privileges of heirs, the full rights of sons, he says there in verse 5 of chapter 4. 
He defines that by talking about coming of age and how a youngster does not have all the privileges of, of his heirship until he reaches a certain age. And then he compares that to uh, all of us that we are under bondage to sin before we meet Jesus Christ. And the basic principles of the world, he says there, were how we functioned. So it doesn't matter what our background is. All people try to, to find a relationship with God through some kind of works or some kinds of law keeping, some kind of religion. And all of that's a dead end. And Paul says here so clearly, that will never get you out of the bondage you're under. The only thing that gets you out of bondage is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That relation starts by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's believing in Jesus and His plan of salvation. And then he talks about why Jesus came. He says when the time had fully come, or at the right time, the fullness of time. I know we talk about this at Christmas time all too often, and, and that's all wonderful, but Jesus was born exactly when God had it planned. Not a day early, not a day late, not at the wrong place. Uh, everything was by divine appointment. And, and by the way, when Jesus comes again, it will be by divine appointment when God says it's time. Amen. He talks about how the law fulfilled its purpose. It was the, and we talked about this last time, not last week, because Steve preached, but the last time I preached. The law shows us how sinful we are and we have no ability to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do about it. The only thing, the only answer is being born again. And he talks about Jesus Christ here. He was born of a woman. Again, not referring to the virgin birth here, but showing his humanness. Showing that he came into this world to redeem us. To show us his divinity. Jesus Christ was human so he could be our substitute. My substitute. He was God so he could be my sacrifice. He came as a human because he came under the curse of the law. But he was fully God so he could be my savior. And today in the world in which we live, I get so disturbed when I see the news all the time. All of the craziness going on in our world. The hearts of men and women are hungry for something real, something substantive. And the hearts of men and women are empty. They're hopeless. They, they, they don't see any future. They've tried dead religions. They, they want reality. They, they try the pleasures of this world. They try the philosophies of this world. And those things keep changing all the time and recycling. And, but the hearts of, of men and women are hungry for reality. And Jesus is that only reality. reason there's so much chaos in our world, so much hatred in our world, so, much, so many abortions in this world, and so many murders in this world, is because life has lost any kind of meaning, any kind of purpose, and it's, they're empty. And that emptiness can only be filled by Jesus. He goes on and talks about that you end up, when you become born again, the full rights of sons or adoptions. That we are have the same rights of a natural born child. And in the Roman world, being adopted had very special meaning and dignity to it. And he says, because you Galatians are children of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. 
And I want to say to you, if you're a child of God today, sitting in this room today, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that Holy Spirit bears witness with you about the reality of your relationship with God. God sent His Son into this world to die for the Galatians' sins, for my sins, and for your sins. The Holy Spirit has been sent to, to live in their lives and in my life and in your life. And we are to be witnesses of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world in which He has placed us. Romans 8, 16 says so clearly, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And our hearts cry, it says here, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. Well, our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, cries to our Heavenly Father that we want to hug you, we want to be loved by you, we need you in our lives. And we cry out to Him. It says all Christians are heirs of God. Do you realize how rich you are? Do you realize how rich you are? The psalmist writes in Psalm 50, Every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every bird in the mountains. And the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. We're heirs of God. All of that is ours. How rich we are in Christ. Paul ends this section Again, saying how fearful he is of the direction these people are going. He's not talking about they would lose their salvation because I think the Bible is very clear when you become born again, it's an act of God and that doesn't change. But he's talking about you're going to lose your witness. When you mix error with the truth, when you mix error with grace, you lose your witness. The next generation does not look at you as if you know the truth. And quite honestly, when you get tied up in legalism and works and religions, you will always keep asking the question, have I done enough to please God? Did I do it the right way? Is there more I need to be doing? The churches there in the province of Galatia were professing faith in Christ. And they came out of religions of works. They came out of legalism. They come out of religions where their gods are no gods, as he states there. And Paul is saying, I'm so fearful for you as you're turning and going back to these false gods and the rituals and, and dead works. And he calls them useless and miserable principles. And he's saying that the bondage you're going to go back to, you're going to go back to a life that's unproductive. You're going to go back to a life where you don't have freedom and where God's blessings will be missed in your life. It looks to me as if Paul is saying something like this. Now that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, now that you know the great truth of salvation by grace through faith, 
Now that you understand how wonderful it is to cry out, Abba, Father, and to say, I know Jesus as my Lord. I know God who created this universe. Why tell me why you want to look back? Why are you returning to the old ways? Why are you going back to ceremonies that mean nothing and rituals and laws and, and, and rules and regulations? Things that have no spiritual value at all. You're observing Days and feasts and Sabbaths and new moons. You're going back to religions. Well, they're doing that because that's what the Judaizers said they needed to do. The Judaizers were trying to influence the church here. And, and they also were trying to influence the, the church at, at Colossae in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes to them, do... Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals and new moon celebration or Sabbath days. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Again, it wasn't just there at the church at Galatia. It was in all of the early churches. And it, quite honestly, it's still in the churches today. Paul is saying to you, I, I just don't understand why you would do that. Why, now that you are a child of God and you are entitled to all the privileges and joy of being in God's family, would you go back to that? Well, quite honestly, the year 2019 still sees people tied up in religions, tied up, tied up in rituals that mean nothing, gain nothing. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And he gives us freedom. Nothing more, nothing less. Not religion. I'm proud I'm a Baptist, but no offense. The entrance exam into heaven isn't, are you a Baptist? Nothing to do with works. And he's saying, why go back? Why return to that junk? I think I've wasted my time, he says. I want to wrap this up by asking you a couple questions. What do you do? What do you lean on when a crisis comes into your life? What will you do? Will you lean on laws? Some kind of religion works? When you're lonely, are you going to try to find your fulfillment in, in a new man or a new woman? Some kind of relationship? Some kind of pleasure that the world offers you? Or will you lean on Jesus Christ? Why would you want to turn from grace and the Lord Jesus Christ and go back to laws and religion? Because, see, when a crisis comes, they do you nothing. There's a story of a minister that was on a plane he got into great turbulence. He wore a clerical collar, so everybody knew he was a preacher of some sort. And the plane is bouncing all over the place. And somebody got up and said to him, do something religious. So he passed the hat. <laughs> well, that's all you have. is If you have religion, you're just doing something. But those of us who know Christ, we can stand on grace in a crisis. We can stand firm on a foundation that is a rock. 
We stand on something of substance. And that's what the world wants. We have the promise from our Heavenly Father that He will never, ever leave us. We are His. We are part of His family. And when a crisis comes, and they come, we can stand on the Lord Jesus Christ. So my question to you is this. Where are you standing today? What are you leaning on? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? I would venture to say there's folks in this room today, because we have such a good-sized congregation, that there are people here today that if you were to die today, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven. You can know that because the Bible tells us we can know it. We can have that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's called being born again. It's called becoming a Christian. It's called being saved. There's all sorts of terms that we can use, and I don't care what term you like or what term you use. It means you become a follower of Jesus, and He is now the center of your life. And you can leave this room today with confidence and knowing that your eternity is settled, knowing that when a crisis comes, you've got something solid to stand on. Not something, but someone to stand on. I encourage you today to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to be your Savior if not. There are some of you that need to do business with the Lord today. I don't necessarily know what it is. Some of you just need to spend time here at the altar and pray. Some of you need, might need to come and ask me to pray with or for you. That, that I would be glad to do so. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation and uh, do what the Lord is asking you to do this morning. Shall we stand?
I'm going to stand here. Uh, we have uh, two couples coming to join our fellowship. Over here are the Tom and Sharon Dar, um, coming by statement of faith. They moved here six months ago or so from the great state of Ohio. How did they do in football yesterday? Okay. But, uh, coming by statement, all in favor of in, uh, having them join our fellowship say aye. 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 And over here we have the Cooks, Layman and Bobby Cook, uh, transferring from, so Wagner? In Wagner. And they're coming to join our fellowship also. A, a motion to have them accepted. Say aye. Aye. All right. Very good. All right, there's one thing I need to do today. A little over 13 years ago, I received a phone call to come fill this pulpit one Sunday morning when Cornerstone was in a period of transition. I was more than pleased to do that, which led to me becoming pastor here to this fine church family. I have become painfully aware that I have reached a place in my life that I no longer have the energy to pastor the church as I desire or wish it deserves. That being true, I am going to retire at the end of this year. My last day will be December 29th. I want to thank you for 13 wonderful good years in serving our Lord with you here at Cornerstone. I thank God that he has had his hand of grace upon this church, upon my family and my life. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart, my entire family, for your love, your support, and the privilege of serving you here at Cornerstone. I knew this day was coming, um, and I'm glad I can, and I'm not leaving, let me just, at least I don't think I am, because God has always changed plans. Um, I do desire preach, interim, fill the pulpits. As of right now, Diane and I consider this our church home. We're going to leave our membership here. We will worship here once the end of the year is over, when we can. But um, God is doing great things here. Nobody can deny that. And he will continue to do good things as we strive to serve and please him in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your goodness and your grace. And I do thank you for the privilege of being here. I don't know how to say thank you enough. And sometimes thank you is, just doesn't seem to be the right words. But you've honored me to be here and to serve you here. Lord, in the days ahead, let this fellowship Find the man you want to lead into new adventures, things that were never dreamed of. We've seen so many things that were not even thought of years ago that, that you've accomplished here. And again, we just say thank you. Your great blessings and grace upon it. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.